Welcome to the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. I'm your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm the chairman of the Precision Oncology Alliance, our large research network composed of many academic institutions and healthcare systems across the globe, focused on precision oncology with the hope of advancing the care of patients with cancer. Today, I'm hosting Dr. Jimmy Wang from Levine Cancer Institute, and we're going to talk about a paper that was published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology addressing the ASCO position statement on molecular sequencing and genomic profiling. This is really important because if you look previously at data that was presented at prior meetings, it's very clear and evident that many patients who need sequencing, they do not actually undergo sequencing. And as you know, if patients don't undergo sequencing, there will be some elements of the molecular profile of that tumor that will be missed and the possibility of treatment being withheld or jeopardized is certainly there. So the paper came out uh, several weeks back and recommended uh, broad sequencing to all patients with advanced cancers. I've invited Dr. Jimmy Wang, one of the co-authors of that paper, to share with me, with you, with everybody else, the details of the paper, how did this come about, and what the recommendations are. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. And before I air the episode, don't forget to subscribe and rate the show, write a brief review, and as always, need to let me know what you think of the show by messaging me on Twitter at Shadi Nabhan or by emailing me at cnabhan at kerasls.com. Without further ado, Dr. Jimmy Wong on the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. Jimmy, welcome to the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. I appreciate you taking time of your schedule to spend a few minutes with us to talk about uh, uh, a recent publication that came in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. But before we get started, uh, maybe a little bit about you and what you do, where you practice, and what's your research interests. Great. Thank you. Now, uh, I am at the Levine Cancer Institute here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, I've been here since, uh, well, just about nine years now. Um, and I, I wear several hats, as so many of us uh, do in this world, depending on what, you know, what day of the week it is, uh, on a day like today. My main hat is I'm a GI medical oncologist. I run this, the GI section of medical oncology here. Uh, at Atrium um, and the Levine Cancer Institute. Amongst other hats, I also am a, a fellowship program director. Uh, you know, here we have a three-year, you know, ACGMA accredited hematology oncology fellowship. Um, you know, I tell folks that, you know, Levine, for those of you that aren't familiar, is, uh, you know, I think more of a hybrid institution, uh, academic and community both. Um, I and many of my colleagues that you know, Charlotte Moorhead office are folks who have uh, come from academic institutions. I was at Georgetown on faculty for 12 years before coming here. And really my role ends up being, has been very important that in uh, this, you know, ever evolving world. The reason I wanted to talk to you and, and actually, you know, being an educator also in a, in a hybrid uh, scenario and a fellowship director is really important because some of the things that we read about in journals are going to be important to educate fellows about as they go into practice very soon. But I want to really focus more on a paper that came out in the Journal of Clinical Oncology that focused on what is the ASCO recommendations as pertains to molecular sequencing or genomic profiling for 
cancer patients, for patients with cancer. Let's level set for listeners uh, who are tuning in. What led to this effort? How did this effort come about? Uh, there were a lot of you guys that collectively worked together, lots of co-authors and so on. Take me through what started this uh, before it became a publication. Well, I, I think that, that, you know, there are obviously a number of different questions that, that you know, are approached by, that ASCO and different bodies, you know, leading bodies um, are approached by individuals, you know, areas where there are new and evolving questions and, you know, people are asked to weigh in um, in a data-driven and expert-driven fashion uh, to comment, to help educate everybody and help everybody understand what the uh, best approaches to things are. I, I don't actually know the first of these types of guidelines uh, and statements that ASCO came out with, but one of the first ones that I remember seeing was, you know, several years ago with regards to uh, stage four lung cancer. Uh, for example, and, and over over time, ASCO has come out with a number of these types of uh, statements, and you know, I, and I think that you know, molecular profiling uh, and genomic testing is certainly an area that, because it's evolving so rapidly, is one where I think there's been a great deal of interest. Um, so, what the actual genesis is, who who decides uh, which questions need to be uh, answered and addressed at which time, that's beyond my knowledge. Uh, but certainly I think that, that, you know, the changes that we've seen over the course of the last, you know, we can call it decade, but especially over the course of the last several years, uh, I think make it a, a, you know, a much more important question to be addressed. And I'm sure that's why that, uh, you know, that was asked, uh, you know, because of where I am and where I've been, uh, I think that, you know, I, I've been uh, fortunate to be a member of a number of several different uh, ASCO committees over the years. And uh, one of the, the committees that I'm working with now is, is also the program uh, guideline implementation network, and so one of the you know where the questions of oh, what is what is feasible you know what what is feasible what seems to be feasible from a uh, not just sim simply a purely academic standpoint but also you know uh, you know just sort of a somebody who sees patients on a regular basis um, would view as being uh, you know a workable uh, you know a workable objective and plan. Yeah, you know, you bring up a, a good point. I mean, obviously, there are so many things happening in oncology and very fast. And and this is such an important topic. I recall seeing some of the papers, some of the presentations at the last ASCO meeting, where there was significant, un, um, basically, it was published and presented that fewer patients than expected were undergoing molecular sequencing than what, you know, I mean, they should have had sequencing, but they weren't. Um, so let me let me start by asking you. So, you know, we can't really cover the entire paper, but let's go over some highlights. Uh, let's you know start. You know, let's highlight number one. What did you guys come up with as a committee? Well, you know, I think that one of the interesting things about the, you know, about the the guidelines is that you know all of the recommendations that were submitted were actually felt to be very strong. Uh, and a lot of times, if you see some of the other ones, there you know there some of the recommendations end up being weak or moderate, uh, simply because of the level of data. Uh, and I think that one of the the things that I really liked about this process and the result ends up being um, that it really is data driven, and and that we can feel comfortable with that. 
you know, in essence, the recommendations are that patients um, where there are diseases where we know that there are, you know, targetable aberrations should be undergoing profiling. And if there are, for example, as there are, for example, lung cancer, where there are multiple uh, targetable aberrations that exist, uh, that they should really be getting, you know, you know, a, a, not simply a targeted hotspot, uh, you know, uh, test, uh, but really, you know, a, a broader panel would be more appropriate. And I, I think to me that would, that ends up being the, the number one take home message, you know, from, from the, from the, you know, the opinion. So, so, so just to, to, um, to step back a little bit. So for patients with advanced stage cancer, solid tumors, the recommendation is to undergo molecular profiling with a broad panel. So, uh, well, at least the ones where we know that there are targetable aberrations, and and you know these days that that really ends up being, uh, you know, the majority of of uh, diseases. I, I think that it becomes very interesting how, you know, it, one of the difficulties en- ends up being, and I think this is probably a little bit less of an issue today than it would have been a couple of years ago ends up being timing and speed, you know, and, and I think that there will always be a little bit of uh, back and forth between uh, concerns about, about that. But, you know, rather than having, you know, testing it, one test for uh, EGF and then separate test for MET and then a separate test for, uh, you know, pd one and then doing them sequencing, the feeling was that it may be more efficient and appropriate to, uh, you know, test all, you know, test them, you know, together. And what was the, I mean, how did you come up to the, like, how did you, what's the methodology that the committee utilized to end up coming to the conclusion that this is what we need to do for patients with advanced cancers? You know, uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, And it's a difficult question to ask because I think a lot of people came to the table being used to that. You know, certainly the vast majority of the individuals on the panel were or in academic practice, uh, you know, in academics practice, they came from a variety of uh, backgrounds uh, in terms of disease types and in terms of, uh, you know, specialized field specialization. And so I, I think that there were a lot of folks who were used to using it. And I think that's, uh, you know, that was one of the reasons they wanted to make sure that they had representation, you know, beyond just that, that includes uh, a community member who's a you know a community non physician member, um, but I, I think that it was mostly you know so people came in with that you know certainly there was a lot of discussion uh, in you know by email as well as um, well not face to face meeting but but by you know Zoom or whichever I don't even remember what platform it was overseas now <laughs> you know but that kind of Zoom meeting and that kind of interaction where those discussions were able to be had. And I think that that simply in the end, it was a recognition that the the ability to test more, uh, you know, potentially brings uh, some advantage to the patient in the end, at least yeah. potentially. So I think that, so one take home message is that broader testing is going to help more patients in the longer run. Jimmy, can you comment a little bit on the RNA-seq uh, part of sequencing? Because we, we, we talk about... Um, DNA and RNA and so on. How did the panel approach that and, and what did you come up with? So the panel wasn't real specific about, you know, I, I think tended to try to be uh, a little higher level. Uh, you know, it didn't get into a lot of specific uh, specifics from a nature of the testing specifically, although 
you know, later, you know, some of the, some of the subheadings did uh, speak specifically about specific tests to do. Again, when you talk about MET, when you talk about NTRAC, you know, TMB and things like that. But for the most part, you know, they didn't necessarily specify RNA-seq. They just sort of talked more broadly um, about fusion testing, uh, for example. But, you know, certainly, you know, as we talk about uh, the different types of targetable uh, aberrations that exist, you know, it, it's clearer now than it would have been than it was, you know, five, seven years ago that, you know, fusion proteins are an important driver for uh, for some disease for some disease types uh, and need to be accounted for as well. And, and, and that's where the RNA-seq fits in because you're able to take the fusions that you could actually miss when you do the, the, the DNA. But um, so, so, so in a sense, because again, you guys are all in academia or major hybrid institutions. Um, and as you said earlier, a lot of folks who came into the panel, they already were believing in the genomic profiling. But let's talk somebody who is not sure who is reading the paper, who is listening to this, who is in regular practice, who doesn't have the same level of expertise that you guys have. If that, that physician now must recommend genomic profiling and molecular sequencing if the patient that they see have advanced stage disease, am I capturing this correct or no? Even though I wasn't an English major in college, I, you know, I, I think that the you know, I think that there was always, and for these kinds of guidelines, I think there's always a question of what is must uh, oh, versus yeah. should. Uh, I think that the feeling what, you know, so I would characterize it as a should, um, yeah. you know, that, that, it, that it should be done because it is, you know, potentially the patient's advantage to be able to, uh, again, test for, you know, testing with this kind of a panel allows you to, to potentially identify um, more, targetable things than a targeted hotspot test. What's your sense about um, how is, how is your committee looking at earlier stage disease uh, patients? Uh, I think for advanced stage disease, um, the recommendations were clear for earlier stage disease. We probably can all agree that it's work in progress, but where do you see that going over the next few years? Yeah, so I, I think so. The, the this specific uh, panel uh, was, you know, the purview was, you know, advanced metastatic disease. So we, you know, the question of uh, earlier stage wasn't even brought to the table uh, in the discussions, and, and was, you know, and I don't know that, and you know, I don't know that there was ever any real intent to do that. Uh, if there's an intent to do that at this point in ASCO, I, but I expect the same way that this one. Uh, develop things will you know the data will follow because I think that the next frontier of sorts is going to be is uh, ends up being uh, neoadjuvant therapy and the decisions that we tend to make for patients for uh, neoadjuvant therapy or preoperative therapies uh, tends to be driven by metastatic disease and if that's the case then in theory your decision making should be the same Um, you know at least in theory I think you can raise the question of um, you know, do we know that NTRAC, you know, is useful for patient for patients with, uh, you know, with lung cancer, in an, if they have, you know, stage two disease? And you know, no, we have no clue. 
but the response rate is impressive enough. You can imagine that it, that it might be. So uh, I, I, I think that that will probably be something that that evolves practically, uh, rather, you know, more so than what a guideline uh, will end up saying. But that, that's that's my guess. What what else did you guys? Uh, I don't have the paper in front of me. I know it was it was very interesting. I uh, you know you know you know how I know it's interesting. Paper Jimmy is when I tweet it. It means it's interesting because I do tweet every so often. Um, but uh, what what else uh, did the paper come up with that you think our listeners need to be aware of? I think that the you know the other one that's that's that was probably worth keeping in mind just ends up being you know the you know the, these are you know somatic tests somatic testing and I think the other one that's worth keeping in mind just ends up being germline testing uh, is something that is uh, separate uh, or at least oftentimes separate and needs to be you know needs to be kept in mind for. Uh, certain diseases, both for the patient and their disease treatment, as well as potentially their uh, their family, and and sometimes the you know these somatic testing results will lead uh, in that direction, but sometimes they you know they may not be you know picked up in the tumor biopsy. There actually is a separate um, there was a separate panel you know discussing uh, germline uh, germline testing as well, and so that was the other reason we didn't go into that, but certainly you know the panel pointed out you know, the benefits of it. I think that one of the other things that's worth keeping in mind about, you know, that I thought that I liked that the panel did, uh, because it's a difficult, you know, one of the more difficult things that we have to do is a, you know, switching hats and talking in a practical practicing oncologist standpoint is what do you do with some of these results when you don't have, you know, you don't have an actual, you know, a test, I'm sorry, a treatment that is approved in your disease type. You know, what do you do with, um, somebody who has a um, ATM mutation, a BRCA, a BRCA mutation in colon cancer. You know, how do you approach that? And you know, from a panel standpoint, it, you know, we didn't, we couldn't, didn't because we felt we couldn't make specific recommendations about that. And that, you know, and that's one of, you know, that's one of the challenging ones because I will say I tend to be a little bit more conservative. You know, and the panel's approach was basically, well, clinical trials are preferred. Uh, and then was a little bit agnostic when it came to, well, if you don't have a, if you don't have an approved treatment, uh, what do you do? Uh, and that was sort of uh, interesting and, and was certainly the topic of some discussions. Yeah, and I think you know the other thing is um, there are so many of these mutations that we detect today that have no approved treatments, but in a few years, these same mutations become targetable and you have actually treatment that works against them so it's uh, uh i always say no treatment yet that's my optimistic oncologist self usually says yep no i agree that that is definitely uh you know that's definitely way that we where i talk about it with patients as well anything else uh jimmy in the paper that um uh, we may have missed i think that the um you know th- those really were the the main the, the main gist, uh, the biggest one just ends up being um, more than anything, the importance of testing. I, I think that, you know, a test is better than no test. And I think that, that the broader the test, you know, in, in most cases, but, you know, and, and really, and, and, you know, preferred for all of my patients, you know, the, the more tests, the better, um, the more, you know, the better the chance of finding something that ends up being targetable. I think that, you know, one of the things that, that was not specifically discussed in uh, by the panel, or at least not in not in the pathways, but certainly came up, but it ends up being the question of 
Um, is, you know, it should it strictly be this kind of testing? Is there still, you know, is there still a role? How does the role still fit in with regards to uh, immunohistochemistry? As we know, for for you know, for her too, um, there still ends up being some prognostic benefit in a lot of diseases uh, to you know, I what the IHC is, even even in the presence of uh, amplification. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, this is very helpful. Um, you know, uh, as a reader, I think this is probably one of the strongest papers I have seen that come out as an ASCO statement recommending a test better than no test. And if you're going to test a broader test, better than uh, a smaller test and so on. I think it's going to help patients, going to help oncologists as they take care of these patients. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Anything else before I let you go and go back to your busy schedule? Uh, no, thank you. I, I think that was. I, I think those really were the main gists of the of the paper as I saw it, and uh, I certainly hoping that uh, you feel better soon, and uh, look forward to hopefully seeing you uh, perhaps at ASCO. Absolutely, we see you at ASCO. Thank you so much, Jimmy. Jimmy Wang from Levine Cancer Institute on the Caris Molecular Minute podcast. Thanks, everyone. I appreciate you tuning in and listening to the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. This is really very important piece of information published in the peer-reviewed literature in the Journal of Clinical Oncology, one of the highest rated journals in the world focused on oncology. The position is clear that patients with advanced cancers will stand to benefit if they undergo sequencing for to understand their tumor profile. This will open a lot of avenues to these patients in terms of therapy, in terms of understanding the pathobiology of that tumor and what could be done next. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with your friends, with your colleagues. Make sure they rate the show. And until next time, take care.